Well, good morning, City Light. Morning. Amen. Man, uh, what a beautiful day it is. The sun is shining and uh, the tomb is empty and Jesus is risen. Uh, amen. Uh, yeah, we can clap for that. He's, he's not, we have victory, right? Amen. We, uh, we're here today to celebrate and worship a risen and resurrected Savior. And so we're not here defeated, but we're here victorious, uh, not because of our works, but because of His. And so, man, I just want to welcome each of you. If you're visiting with us today, man, we love you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, it's just a privilege to have you. Uh, and so um, as we uh, open up today, we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 28. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to flip there, that's where we're going to be at. Uh, before we do, I have kind of a, a weird or interesting question. Have you guys ever had a major victory in your life? You ever had something that just like caused you to kind of celebrate? Maybe you were in public and you, you kind of did a little jump and, and you kind of looked around like, man, who, who saw that? Hopefully no one saw that. Have you guys ever had a major victory? A um, few of you, no one, hopefully. But hopefully, if you believe in J- Jesus, you've had a major victory. Um, but um, I remember, uh, it wasn't my victory. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was 14 years old. This was way back when Nebraska football was good. And uh, so it was a really long time ago, right? And they, uh, they won the national championship. I was 14 years old. I remember watching as the, the game unfolded, and I thought, oh, man, here they go. They're going to lose again. And somehow, someway, in the fourth quarter, they turned around, and they won a championship. And I remember being so excited. I was with my buddies. We were watching this game. We, were, we actually were celebrating. We broke a lamp, and we're, we're just ecstatic. Like, Nebraska won the football game. This is so incredible. I can't believe they won a championship finally in our lifetime. And so... Um, so we were watching the news, and we saw that there's this huge party going on. In Omaha, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Omaha, there's two major intersections. Well, there's several major intersections, but there's one on Dodge Street and then 72nd Street, 72nd and Dodge. And, and we watched as ga- thousands of people were gathering, and we thought, you know what? Uh, we're we're going to go. So I don't remember. Maybe my mom drove us at that point. I don't remember. We're 14 years old. But we got there, and there were literally like thousands of people in the middle of this intersection, just chanting, go Big Red, go Big Red. And after a while, you go, okay, I get it, we'll go Big Red, right? But it was literally for like hours, people were there <coughs> celebrating this victory. They were, they were literally climbing poles. I remember there's this huge sign. I remember that there was like a 30-foot sign, and there's some people up on top of this sign. I'm 14 years old. I'm like, man, that looks like fun. And I thought, how did they get up there? And I'm kind of wondering if I should do it. And I said, no, nah, I probably shouldn't. But these people are up there. They're celebrating. And as people are chanting, they're celebrating, singing, and they're participating in this victory that wasn't theirs, it felt like there was a a joy and a camaraderie. Like, the, you didn't bump into people and hate them. Like, you bumped into people and, like, gave them a hug. And so, it was just this unique experience for an entire city to come together almost as if we were a family around a victory. I don't know if you guys remember, the next year, Nebraska won again. And so, we did what every Omaha does when Nebraska wins a championship. Apparently, we went back to 72nd and Dodge. And so we did the same thing we did a year before. We chanted, Go Big Red. We sang songs. People climbed poles. Only this year, the crowd was bigger. There had to have been like 10,000 people. And I remember seeing cops off to the side just watching this major intersection shut down. And Omaha is there celebrating. They're there celebrating a victory that wasn't theirs from a team that they wanted to claim. And it felt like, again, like we were a family. And it's interesting how victories have a way of bringing people together. 
Victories have a way of compelling us to go and do something. Like nobody said to these three pimple-faced teenagers, you guys need to go to 72nd and Dodge and celebrate the Nebraska Cornhuskers' victory. We just felt like, man, we got to go. We're going to miss out if we don't go celebrate. And the next year, you could tell people did feel like they missed out because there were more people. And so part of me wonders what's going to happen when Iowa wins the championship. Where are we going to go and where are we going to celebrate, right? That was kind of a dig, but no one picked it up. That's okay, right? And so I don't know where we're going to go, but we're going to go celebrate somewhere. And victory has a way to compel us. When we look at the resurrection story, what we see is a story of victory. And hopefully we see a story that compels us. And so what I want to do, hopefully, is show you in the story how Jesus' victory compels us. There's several ways But my hope is as we participate in the work of Jesus Christ, it becomes meaningful, and there's something within us that says, man, we're going to go, not to 72nd Dodge, but wherever Jesus leads us to go, because we're compelled to go. So let's open up to Matthew 28, verses 1. I want to read this real quick. It says, now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. We have the Marys. I don't know why I love saying that. One, because I'm a nerd, but we have these Marys that go. It's probably because everyone I meet when I was my age was named Jason, and so I always had to distinguish between last names, and I didn't want to go by my middle name because it's Scott, and I just, no offense if anyone here is named Scott, I just wasn't digging Scott. So so I didn't have a nickname because Jason doesn't really have a nickname unless you go by Jay, so I love Marys, and so the Marys are going to the tomb, but I want, I want you to put yourself in their, in their their position for a second. Think about this. You've followed Jesus for years now. You've believed in the message that Jesus has said, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You watched as a week ago that Jesus healed a dead man, brought Lazarus back to life. You watched as Jesus gave sight to the blind, as he gave hearing to the deaf. You heard Jesus make claims of being the Son of God, and you believed in that. You trusted in that. You hoped in that. You were there when Jesus went into Jerusalem, when people were celebrating, they were singing Hosanna, and it was ecstatic, and you thought, finally, this is the time where we experience victory. This is the time where we celebrate. This is the time where all is made well, and then you watched Friday morning as Jesus was led before a corrupt tribunal. And you watched as they mocked him, as they spit on him, as they beat him. You watched as they hung him on the cross, and you watched him gasp his last breath. And all the hope that was in you was gone. So you're Mary. How does Friday night feel? How does Saturday morning feel? You know, I don't know if you guys have ever been there, where it's one of those nights where you can't sleep. Saturday night, I imagine Mary was, was laying there, and she just thought, I don't even want to sleep. I can't wait for the Sabbath to be over so I can go to the tomb. Maybe if I can go to the tomb, maybe if I can process this, maybe I'll be able to understand it. Maybe then it will make some sense. Maybe then when I see his body, I'll begin to be able to grieve and make sense of this. All of my hope was dashed on Friday. She's experienced the three darkest days that humanity has ever experienced, and she's coming to the tomb. Can you imagine that walk? Do you think it's one of those walks where anybody said anything? Or is it one of those walks as they're walking along where everybody knows this is too intense, don't say anything, just be quiet. And so they're walking, they come to the tomb, and let's see what happens when they come to the tomb. In verse 2 and 3, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, 
For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. On Friday, it felt like hell itself had opened and swallowed their hope. And here, they come along this miraculous scene. They see these angels. And it's probably one of those moments where you're not too sure. How many of you guys have ever seen an angel sitting on a boulder before? Anybody? Right? I never have. So you're probably like, I'm not really, you just, you're just taking it in. You're like, man, what's going on? I'm not sure. So you just process it a little bit. And we have here something that's interesting that's happening. Matthew is trying to show us or illustrate to you and me that heaven itself has opened and participating in what's unfolding. Heaven itself is declaring that something miraculous has happened. He gives us this picture of them, that they're wearing lightning, right? I mean, I wore shorts yesterday for the first time. And I thought, man, I really need some sun. These are pasty white legs. I mean, but they don't radiate like lightning. I don't know how many of you guys ever wore lightning before. I haven't, so I don't know what that looks like. But we get this essence of, of heaven itself, of the angels stepping out of heaven and out of perfection into the mud and muck that is what we live in, and they're going to declare a message. And there's something important here. The angels aren't just a decoration piece. They're not just something for us to look at and say, oh, that's really neat that the angels are there. Uh, let me give you maybe an example, a hypothetical here. Let's say one day I call you and I say, uh, hey, I, I'm in jail. Um, I got arrested for not paying my parking tickets. And you say, hey, man, I get it. Parking tickets are stupid. You shouldn't pay them anyways. I'll come get you. So you pull up and you see me high-fiving the guard. I walk out and they get in your car and we drive off. No big deal, right? At least, hopefully. Uh, well, it's kind of a big deal. I didn't pay my parking tickets, but let's set that aside for a second. Now, hypothetically, I call you. Say, hey, man, I'm in jail. Uh, could you come get me? And so you say, sure, man, we're good friends. I really like you, so you come and get me. And as you pull up, you see me come running out, and I'm wearing an orange jumpsuit, and I'm running from the jail, right? And there's a guy chasing behind me, and I jump in the car, and I'm yelling, go, 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 go. What are you going to do? Are you going to go? No, right? Because you know. Yeah, you didn't get released from jail, right? I'm not, that's not a part of this. In Nebraska, there's a state prison, and on the road, it says, don't pick up hitchhikers for the next five miles. And I'm like, I get it, right? We know. We know how somebody gets released from jail, and we know how somebody doesn't get released from jail, right? And so the angels are illustrating to you and me that Jesus conquered death that he was victorious, that he paid the debt. Heaven itself, our Father, sent his angels to roll back the tomb. If Jesus can raise a dead man, he can move a boulder from his tomb. Jesus could have pushed that back. Instead, the Father himself said, I am pleased with my son, and I'm going to send my angels to declare how pleased I am. And so the angels are like a guard who released somebody from prison to declare that his payment has been paid. And so the angels aren't just decoration. They're telling you and me something. They're telling us something important, that Jesus didn't break out of jail, but he conquered it. But there's something that we're seeing here, and that is that victory compels us to go. The angels came from heaven, right? I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm in heaven, I think I'm sticking around. Like I'm... I'm not going anywhere else. Like, that's it. If I ever get a house in a paradise beach somewhere, 
the odds of me coming back to Iowa are slim to none. I'm just hanging out there. And so we have the angels that are compelled to go, and we're seeing our first principle here. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Peter's talking about people who profess the gospel. He's writing, he's saying, these are people who preach the gospel, and he writes this. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Do you see that? So the victory compels us to go. Now look at this, things in which angels long to look. Do you see that? The victory, the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that angels lean into. They want to look into it. They want to try to understand it. How can God redeem sinful people? How can perfect angels who are created beings long to look into it? So you're seeing how victory, how Jesus' work kind of moves us. It compels us. And so we're seeing here, look at what Peter writes. Because when we're victorious, this is what happens. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for actions. Do we see that? When we're victorious, it moves us. Do you guys, I mean, when you think about something you've been part of, when you were celebrating, when you were victorious, you go, man, I want to go do something. I got to go tell somebody. I can't just sit still here. So Peter is saying, if you believe in the resurrected Jesus, if you believe the tomb is empty, prepare your mind for action. We're seeing the angels move. They came from heaven. And Peter is saying, prepare your mind for actions. Are we getting that? And so victory compels us, but it compels us to go. We see the angels as they went. We see in this text an example for you and me. As we looked at this, let's read verses 4. And for fear of him, the guards became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he has said. Come see the place where he lay, and then go quickly. So we have here another example. The angels are told to go, and then what do they do? They tell the Marys to go. But I want you to see there's two different experiences. There's two sets of people in here. We have the guards, and we have Mary. Now, at this point, you, you know Mary's heart, right? They're, they're hearing this message. We're here From the angel, they're comforted. Don't be afraid. And we look at the guards, and what happens to the guards? They fall dead. When you really stand before something that is powerful, when you really stand before something that declares the majesty that only God can declare, you become weak. And they're comforted. Don't be afraid. Isn't that incredible? What comfort? How much do you think they longed for those words? To see heaven itself. They believed the message of Jesus Christ. And here, they're being comforted by, by heaven itself, by the angels itself. And so we're seeing here, if you can imagine, it's like the tomb, the darkness. When that boulder rolled away, we're having the light from heaven shining into their heart. We're seeing here that Jesus himself is been, has been set free. We're seeing that Jesus himself is giving life and he's giving it abundantly. We're seeing here heaven declare a victorious message that sets people free. Do you see where he told Mary to go? As I think about this, I'm often wondering, what's the motivation for following Jesus, right? Is it fear? Is it guilt? It could be. 
We could do those type of sermons. We could say, you know what, you should because, but we don't have that here. Instead, Jesus invites us into relationship with them. Remember, in John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the expectation. So if Jesus came to give life, how did he come to give life? Did he come to wait upon us? Did he come to guilt us? Or did he come to compel us? Do you see the difference, the distinction there? We could have a Lord and Savior that says, you know what? I'm going to browbeat you. I'm going to press upon you. You are sinners. Don't you recognize the kind of people you are? Instead, he comes to give life abundantly. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to serve. He came to live and die so that we could live again. When Jesus rose from the grave, it was like heaven itself declared a message, not like heaven itself declared a message, that life has been given abundantly. The darkest hour that we have experienced has given way, and the light can now shine into the human heart for all of eternity if we trust and believe that there is a message of victory, that Jesus has conquered death. He has slayed humanity's greatest enemy, which is death. Do we believe that? If we believe that, if we participate that, then we naturally feel compelled to go. Like, you don't have to fabricate it. Like, you don't have to have a pep talk. You know, I have a three-year-old son, and I've never had to say to him, Ryan, I want you to have a lot of energy today. I want you to go all day long. I want you to go, 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 go. Instead, it's like, kid, would you just sit down for a second? Please, sit here. Sit still for 10 seconds. I'll give you ice. Even when he's eating ice cream, he doesn't sit still. It's like, my gosh, kid, just be still. And so we kind of have that same compulsion where it's like, man, what Jesus has done is remarkable. We're like the angels. We long to look in. We want to see what it's about. There's the victory within us that says we got to go. Like that 14-year-old pimple-faced kid It's like, let's go to Dodge Street and celebrate. We don't know why we're going. We don't even know what we're going to do when we get there. We just know we're going. And so we're going to go. But there's a reason why we go, and we see it where he says, that victory compels us to testify. We see it in verses 7 and 8. Look at what he says when he says, go quickly, and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Do you see that? The three most therapeutic words that humanity has ever heard is, he is risen. There is nothing that is more beneficial for the human heart and the mind than to hear and trust and believe that Jesus Christ is risen. It is in those words that we find our victory. It is in those words that we find our life. It is in those words that we live abundantly if we believe that Jesus is risen. And so they're told, because you've trusted in this victory, and if you can imagine how they felt on Friday, how they're feeling here. Now, I'm going to get myself in trouble when I ask a question. Do you think the angels really needed to tell the women to go tell people? Right? <laughs> Uh, some of you are like, I get it. I get it, all right? If you don't get it, uh, you know, okay. <laughs> but he tells him, go tell. Go testify. And so if we believe in the victory, we go and we tell. Can you imagine them going? When they were walking to the tomb, imagine how they felt. Now imagine how they feel now. Look at the way they go. This is powerful. He has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Look at this. So they had departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Do you see that, church? 
That's the victory that Jesus has earned for us. A victory that gives us joy. A victory that compels us. A victory that is sweet. A victory that pulls us. A victory that brings relationships together. That's ultimately what victory does, is it restores our relationship with God and it restores our relationship with one another. When we were celebrating on, at the Odd Street, it was we had a false family. We weren't really family. I don't even know who was there. Can't tell you, right? They don't remember me. And if they did, I hope, I hope they don't, because I was probably a nerd. Didn't really, if I was saying Go Big Red, it was awkward, you know, kind of like, Go Big Red. It was, you know, I don't have much rhythm, and so I was trying to sing, but it just doesn't happen. And so here we have a victory that draws people together. It's brought Mary back into relationship with Jesus. Although that, that was never severed, that's not what I mean, that wasn't lost, but they felt in their heart like, man, something happened here. And it brings us into a relationship together. It brings people together. So when we say that we're victory, victorious, and we're saying that victory compels us, and victory compels us to testify, what we're saying is ultimately that Jesus is trying to tell us to go tell people so that relationships can be restored. Does that make sense? So it feels good to be victorious, right? It feels good. And so we see that here, where they're saying there's great joy, and so they ran to tell the disciples. And that's not it. Look at this. As they're running in verse 9, it says, and behold... Jesus met them and said greetings. Now, this is a sermon in itself. When we're going for Jesus to testify, we meet Jesus himself. Don't let that be lost on you. If we had time to unpack that, where do we meet Jesus? Well, when we're going for him, when we're declaring what he's accomplished. So they meet Jesus, and look what he says. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then said to him, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Man, I just love that before and after. Jesus, we thought you were dead. We thought you were gone. And now here you are, as they're going, quickly, with great joy, they meet their resurrected Savior. Can you imagine that? Do you see what happened in their heart? And that is victory compels us to celebrate. Now, I say celebrate for those of you who don't understand what worship is, but worship is ultimately celebration, right? We're celebrating what Jesus has done. We're worshiping our Savior. We're uplifting His name. And so when we say victory compels us to celebrate, we could ultimately say victory compels us to worship. And that's why, if we're honest, the human heart chases after victories outside of God. I want to lean on athletics here just for a second. Those of you, I grew up, my identity with athletics, um, I wasn't very good, but I tried to be good. Um, and so people always say, you play college baseball? I say, no, I watched college baseballs play, and I carried the bats for them. Because ultimately, I, I just was on the bench the whole time. And so I tried. That was the extent of my accomplishment in athletics, was to be on a college baseball team. So obviously, there's not a whole lot of athletic ability there, although there is a little bit, a tiny bit. And so when I say that we tend to find victory in athletics, it's easy to take shots at it, Right? But the reason we lean into that so much is there's something in the human heart that says we know we were created for victory. We know we were created to live differently than when we are. We experience the consequences of sin. So victory sets us free from yesterday. Victory sets your heart free from yesterday. When we say we're compelled to go, what we're saying is Jesus has given us life today. And so when we feel victorious, what we feel is it's putting us in the present does that make sense? When we're living in defeat, it's like we're living in yesterday. When we're living in defeat, what it feels like is we can't forgive somebody. 
When we're living in defeat, it feels like we can't stop grieving. When we're living in defeat, it feels like I just want to get out of my head. And so we chase after something to bring us into the present, and victory does that for us. It brings us into the here and now, but it doesn't just bring us into the here and now. It brings us into the here and now with life, and so we feel compelled. We feel compelled to celebrate. We feel compelled to relate with people, to testify to them. We feel compelled to go live life abundantly. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is a story of victory. It's a story of his resurrection. It's a story where he says, come and have life abundantly. Simply trust and believe. And so my hope for us today, I try to make it as easy as I can, is that we would say victory compels. It really is that simple. But the question for us is where are we finding victory in our life? Are we finding it in our works or in the works of Jesus Christ? My hope is that we find it in Jesus. And with great joy, we get to go. And we go quickly. A lot of times I like to conclude with a practical application. Kind of wrap it all up, make it nice and neat, and say, here's what we can do. Here's what we should do. Here's how we can go. But you know what? There are some days where you study and you learn. There are some days where you listen and you wait. And there are some days where you celebrate. There are some days where you say, you know what? We're just going to party today. We're going to rest, right? Some of you, that's hard to rest. But that's what we're going to do today. What's your takeaway? It's to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To do it not as a, out of, of guilt and, and, and saying, he said I should, but to say, man, Jesus did rise from the grave. That is a phenomenal victory that brings us into the day and allows us to live with hope in tomorrow. And so the practical takeaway is to celebrate. To celebrate what Jesus has done. To go and to testify and to celebrate, that's it. It can't be that much sweeter and easier than that. And so when somebody says, Jesus is risen, you claim that as yours and you say, he has. And I'm going to go celebrate today. Church, we're going to celebrate by turning our hearts to communion. But before we do, I just want to say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you were victorious. We thank you that you hung on the cross. We thank you that heaven itself opened and declared that victory was occurred, that death is no more. Lord, we come here today and we ask that you would fill our hearts with celebration, that we could uplift your name and say that Jesus is risen and believe that and feel the effects of that in our heart. Lord, we want to celebrate like Mary with fear and great joy. We want to be people who go quickly with great joy and celebrate, Lord, with a love and a heart for you. Lord, we thank you that today we're gathered here to say that Jesus is risen. Those are three of the best words our minds have ever heard, ever gone through our ears, but we ask that those would impact our heart so that we could step into the present today and be set free from that, Lord, which hinders us. Let us not be people who live in defeat, but people who live in victory because of Jesus' work on the cross. Lord, as we turn our hearts to communion, would it be a time, Lord, where if we have grief like Mary, suffering like Mary, that our Friday would be set behind us and we could live in the Sunday that you've given us to celebrate you. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.